Hey, hungry homies, let me tell you about Lisa Mattresses. Lisa is the innovative direct-to-consumer online mattress brand that's also socially conscious. We love Lisa. For every 10 mattresses that they sell, they take one that they make a brand new mattress. They donate it to a shelter. They have a program called the 110 program. Lisa Mattresses also obviously technically sound. The patented, universal, adaptive feel. It's designed for all types of sleepers and they've expanded their offerings to include the Lisa pillow, the Lisa blanket, the Lisa foundation, and the Lisa frame. Try a Lisa mattress in your own home for 100 nights risk-free. That's a lot of nights. That's nearly a third of a year that you can try the sucker out. I bet that if you get one, you're going to keep it because that's what we did with, with the Lisa that's in my house. The Lisa mattress is available in the U.S., the U.K., Canada, and Germany online with free shipping. This is a 100% American-made mattress that ships compressed in a box right to your front door. You could try one out at the Lisa Dream Gallery in Soho, New York City, as well as in Virginia Beach. Or get yourself to one of 80 West Elm stores nationwide. And this is a great deal. $160 off when you go to lisa.com slash carbs. That's L-E. E-E-S-A.com slash carbs for $160 off. Do it today. Culinary comrades, if you love to score amazing deals at incredible hotels, you will love Hotel Tonight. Hotel Tonight partners with hotels to help them sell their unsold rooms, helping you find sweet deals at cool top rated hotels even though their name is hotel tonight you can also book in advance for spontaneous weekend getaways vacations three-day weekends road trips business bookings and more it is easy book hotels in 10 seconds that's just three taps and a swipe get the hotel tonight app now to start scoring amazing deals at incredible hotels that's hotel tonight the only booking app you need Hungry homies, let me tell you about a couple things going on at TheRinger.com and on The Ringer Podcast Network. Of course, we are celebrating the life, the unbelievable life cut too short of Anthony Bourdain. Our great writer, Justin Charity, has a story. Our great ambassador in memory of Anthony Bourdain. Of course, you know that I'll be talking about Anthony on today's episode of House of Carbs. Also, this week on the Ringer Podcast Network, Ringer FC World Cup coverage. There are games uh, coming up, and every day that there's a game, there will be a Ringer FC World Cup podcast. Check those out. And now, hungry homies, let's go to the house of carbs. <laughs> My taste buds, my culinary comrades, my famished friends, my hungry homies, welcome back. It is another delicious edition of House of Carbs, the food podcast for the hungry people, by the hungry people. It is on the Ringer Podcast Network. I am your hungry host, Joe House. Hungry pals, this week, what a show. We are loaded. Andy Greenwald was kind enough to join us. It's a bittersweet moment uh, to celebrate the life of Anthony Bourdain. Also this week as a guest, Purvey Shawani of Newsday. Newsday, as you know, covers Long Island, New York. Maybe you didn't know that. Purvey is on to talk about the exploding 
seen the diversity of food happening on Long Island. And we also get a few suggestions for any hungry homies coming up this way for this week's U.S. Open golf tournament. And of course, there is outstanding food news. IHOP is IHOP. Me and Juliet Lipman break it down. But first, my friends, let's get in that belly with Andy Greenwald. All right, my culinary comrades, my taste buds, hungry homies. It's a little bit of a bittersweet moment. Our old pal Andy Greenwald is on right now. I had to have Andy on with a super sad news of the passing of uh, Anthony Bourdain. Uh, hungry homies goes without saying that there is no such thing as House of Carbs, uh, along with probably 500,000 other um, great and not so great, um, you know, food entities, food projects, coverage of food, you know, the, the uh, cultural export of food. Um, but Anthony was such an incredible trailblazer. And Andy, uh, and he's going to tell us about it, was lucky enough to know Bourdain personally, worked with Bourdain in, a, in the way that, that um, Andy wrote a column and Anthony reached out to him. So uh, with the news of the passing, uh, Brother Greenwald wrote a beautiful tribute on the Twitter, and I knew I had to have him on. Andy Greenwald, welcome to House of Carbs. Thank you, Joe House. I wish I was here under different circumstances. You, you and me both. I mean, I wrote uh, a note to you that said, I, I hate that this is a, a circumstances under which our paths are crossing, um, but you know, we, we need to talk about it. Um, so thank you for Green to come on. Of course. I mean, I, I think like everyone um, who loved this man, and I think that's a fair word to say. I, you know, sometimes in the case of celebrities, people say they love them. Maybe they loved their work. They didn't really know them. Um, there was something about what Tony Bourdain brought to the world and the way he moved through it and the way he invited people to move through the world with him that I think engendered genuine feelings of love and intimacy. And I think people are traumatized. I think people are just um, devastated. I know I know I am. I, I agree with everything you just said. And I didn't know until I observed the um, the tribute that you wrote. I actually I knew that you had written the Grant Grantland column, but I don't know the that I knew the entirety of the circumstances. I think it's worth kind of sharing that sure a little bit um, because it really is uh, re so reflective of what kind of a, a man he was in terms of, you know, um, connecting with people. Yeah, this is just one small example. It's one small, you know, relatively, I'm sure to him, insignificant interaction, but I think it speaks to who he was um, off screen. And because, you know, since his passing, there's just been an outpouring of similar stories. And to make it clear that this wasn't just a one off, this is sort of who he was and the way he interacted, not just with fans, but with occasional critics. Um, the background is, you know, I fell head over heels for this guy in his writing when that first piece. Uh, ran in the New Yorker in 1999. I remember reading it, and this is the piece that kickstarted everything. I mean, it's yeah. worth noting for people who only know of him as a globetrotting superstar that there is. I mean, he was a poster child for um, insignificance in a way. Prior to that, you know, he was an incredibly smart guy, obviously charismatic, uh, obviously talented in a hundred different directions, but he was a relatively undistinguished cook. He had a career like many people do in that blue collar field where he was working brunches for, you know, restaurants in New York and trying to make ends meet and his feet were killing him because he was just turned 40. He had written a couple mystery novels that I recommend. They're all in print now, but um, they hadn't really done much. And he wrote this piece 
for the New Yorker that uh, changed his life completely. Um, it was the piece that was the start of, it was it essentially was then expanded into Kitchen Confidential. And it was the piece that told you who was really cooking your food. And it was full of all the swagger and brio and just kind of like punching up at everybody that he came to be known for. Um, I read that and it blew my mind. And, um, you know, I, I read every book he wrote. I followed him from a cook's tour on Food Network to No Reservations, Parts Unknown. Uh, watching him just grow and change and improve as both a host and a thinker and as a person along the way. Um, he influenced me enormously. And we can talk about specifics. I'm sure you probably feel the same way. Um, but what happened was when I was a TV critic for Grantland, um, he took a, an extra job because he was always saying yes to things, I think probably because he had never had the choice for so many years in his career. Sure. He was offered uh, this ABC uh, cooking competition called The Taste. And it was essentially billed as, I think it was designed to be like The Voice. It was going to be uh, a new way to have a food competition on TV. And the conceit was that these home cooks and professional cooks would having a challenge or whatever, but what they would end up with would be one perfect bite, one spoonful of whatever it was that they wanted to convey to the judges. And because Bourdain was involved, he got a murderer's row of like legit kitchen talent on this. I mean, David Kinch from Manresa in Northern California was a guest judge. I mean, this is not like, this was not Food Network flashy stuff. And the show was, to my mind, an abomination, <laughs> particularly <laughs> because I thought it was a betrayal of everything he had taught me, which is that you cannot just take a spoonful of someone's culture and run into a hot light studio and think you know anything about it. That in fact, you have to go to the place and meet the woman who made the masa dough or meet the guy who, you know, who, who, who makes the pasta or whatever. You, food is just, it would be like taking one word out of a novel and expecting someone to understand the whole thing. And my reaction to it, I'm still impassioned about it, it's not like me being a critic. It's because I, I, I got angry because I love, you know, it's like the it kind a, of, it was a personal, um, violation. Yeah. It was like, I was like, dad, how are you doing this? You know, like right. it was really, this came from a very, very it was a tender betrayal. place. Yes. It was a genuine betrayal. And so I wrote this piece that, you know, talked about how much I loved him and what I loved him for. And I said that on the set of the show, he was like an aging defanged circus lion, you know, and, and, a, <laughs> which was a, a great line. It was a little, that's a great line. It was a jab. <laughs> Yeah. And, uh, you know, the internet being what it was then, they got taken out of context and, and, and there was a couple things about, you know, rips Bourdain, slams Bourdain, who sold his soul. But, you know, I had to get something off my chest. And um, what was incredible is I, 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 I've lost the chronology of whether he reached out first or whether he sort of followed me on Twitter or, or I don't remember. Um, but the people at 0.0 Productions uh, reached out and basically said, um, oh, yeah, he read it. And he said he got me when he read it. And he got you, meaning he, he said that I how got did him. you take that. Yeah. Like yeah. he, he, they, they relayed to you yeah. his comment that you understood his kind of ethos. Is that that? And also that I got, I landed a fair punch, you know, ah, that, you that, got him. that I, like, okay. like, I tagged him one, you know, gotcha. which I, gotcha. which I appreciated because this is a guy who definitely took his share, took his share of swings at things that bothered him. No doubt. Um, from a similarly, like I, I get angry cause I care perspective you know it, yes. he, he got mad at like rachel ray saying something about olive oil because he cared about olive oil not because yeah. he was mad at her necessarily anyway um so of course being the opportunistic young hack that i was i was like well would he come talk to me about it and they said they th they thought he would and they delivered he showed up at the studio in midtown in manhattan this is the end of 2013 yeah. he had just come off a flight from india i think but he showed up 20 minutes early i found out later and this has been reflected in a bunch of pieces that he that have been written since that he was always early it was like maybe a, a relic of his um line cook days you know he was yeah. incredibly polite um gracious 
uh, we sat down and he gave me an hour of his time and allowed me to ask him everything I'd ever wanted to ask him, um, including stuff specifically about the show, which he defended, you know. Um, sure. But it was this incredibly beautiful and lucky moment. I mean, because he, he is and was a hero of mine. Um, but he, look what he gave me, you know, he didn't have to do that. And he gave me that time. Um, and I found since found out he's done that for many people, of course, you know, he, he cared about writers. He cared about people with opinions who were fighting the good fight or maybe who were just fighting. And, um, you know, I, I, like what I wrote on Twitter was, I just think that his, his ethos was, you should always get impassioned. You should care about this stuff because it matters and you should punch up. You know, never be cruel and 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 punch down, but but punch up. You know, and it's, well, it, and it's a punk rock spirit that he he had from the seventies, and and he was kind enough to give me that time. Well, one of the things that um, jumped out at me from uh, the the tribute that you wrote was the experience of sort of once you had related to him uh, in that face to face way, you became. Um, a, a friend. I mean, I don't know how else to say it. It's not like you were calling each other up on the phone or anything, but you were you became an inside circle person, and that had the effect of you, you know, being able to cross paths with him at least sort of once a year, um, yeah, if we, not more frequently. It was once a year, basically, and it was you know I don't presume to have any knowledge or friendship with him, an intimate knowledge of him. Um, this yeah. is a guy whose job was to know everybody, you know, and I and and it's not up to us to presume the toll that takes, but because of the relationship people had with his writing and his personality on TV and people felt like they knew him, you know, and they wanted to hug him, shake his hand, recommend something to him, uh, bust his balls, whatever. And what's shocking over these last few weeks is that everyone in the food world, much more like really established, cooks, bloggers, whatever, they all have a photo with him. They all met him and he took the time for all of them, you know. And so what I appreciated actually about him was that he was so measured in his he had a reputation, you know, you see him on TV, he's drinking a lot of beers, he's acting, whatever. Right. In his personal life, he was quite, you know, that at least the public facing private life, if that's not an oxymoron, he was quite regimented, you know, and, and structured. And he gave me what I thought was just a, a beautiful and appropriate amount of attention, meaning he would uh, respond to me on Twitter sometimes. Um, I think we we may have DM'd once or twice, but his the, the production company who are just menches and I'm my heart is broken for them. They were incredible people at, and are incredible people at 0.0 Productions. They kept me in the loop because I think they 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 liked what I had said about Tony. They, they kind of liked that I took a shot at him for the taste because they didn't make that show. So, <laughs> so it may have been a little bit like come back home, Tony, you know, don't wander yeah. too far away. But yeah, they would invite me to their holiday parties, which were, which were always at this place called China Chalet in the bottom of Manhattan. And it's like, you know, it's an old fashioned Chinese spot with like a full bar you can get a blue drink in a in a you know a flowered brandy glass, and you can eat yes. your chow mein, and it's and it's exactly what he unironically loved. You know, he he taught us that too, by the way, that you can go to Sichuan Province and truly appreciate the the, the delicate dancing flavor profile of mala peppers, but mm -hmm. you should also get mushu pork, and that's something that is American and true and and worth celebrating. But anyway, yeah, so I would go to these things and he would always have time to say hello and shake my hand. And, you know, it, it, that, that's what it was. But I, I, yeah, I kind okay. of, but I kind of respected it even more. You know, it, 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 it taught me how you can have a, a private life and a public life and be consistent, but have, have your, have your limits. Well, and, and, you know, that, uh, um, kind of interaction so often is transactional exactly um but you know he personalized it so that that's the like, i think he, maybe that's he, why i use that word friend he, he did I, and, you know and, and, and i and i i i mean it, it it would be wonderful to think that was true and but but i will say that what was most striking and this is the other thing i tweeted was that 
I went to that first one. I think I went to three of their parties for, for various reasons. And um, I was kind of excited because I was like, oh, it's going to it's going to be on, you know, it's going to be lit like this guy's going to, you know, do do shots of whatever with everyone and tell stories. And I got to the first one and he was there with his his then wife and, the, and, the, and their daughter and he was you know, sipping a Heineken and he was being friendly to everyone, greeting everyone. And then he slipped away with his family because, you know, the party was for everybody else. He got all the glory and had all the fun. And I thought that was, again, that was really like a model for how to how to be a grown-up dude in the world. Um, I was really impressed by that. Um, one of the things that uh, has been striking, and you mentioned it, has been the universal outpouring and how many different people from all kinds of different walks of life he touched and you know made mm-hmm. such an impact on. And I found myself a couple of different times over the weekend falling down that hole of, of Bourdain tributes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the things that that's just, uh, you know, leapt off the page is so everybody felt like, at least in, in the tributes that I was reading, they had to elevate their game to describe the impact of how powerful Bourdain mm-hmm. w- uh, was in terms of, of you know, um, just just the 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 expanse of, of food territory he covered and mm-hmm. the, the thing, um, the, the hyper-literate way that he was able to deliver this, both in the spoken word and, and in writing. And so I'm reading these tributes and I'm like, this is some of the best writing that I've read possibly all, all year because of everybody feeling compelled to really convey, yeah. you know, and it's the beauty of coming from the gut, you know, when you're writing from the gut that way. Um, and then this is the thing I, I thought it was so uh, interesting. You chose Twitter as your medium Mm-hmm. For sharing um, your, you know, again, highly literate description of 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 uh, the Bourdain impact, have, have, as as you have read tributes, have any kind of stood out to you? Yeah, I mean, I, I I'm with you. I think I'm I'm moved by all of them because all of them are genuine. You know, all of them are based on on personal deep appreciation. You know, um, there are a bunch of food personalities who, who had memories that really struck with, stuck with me. Um, Rachel Kong, who was an editor at, um, Lucky Peach magazine and, uh, and, and just had a novel come out. She talked about how much her parents loved Bourdain. And right. the reason that the, her parents who are immigrants loved Bourdain is because Bourdain loved Malaysia. And that's such a simple thing. But people took genuine pride in his appreciation for their cultures and the way that he approached them. You know, it meant something to them that this, you know, traditionally sort of handsome, swaggering American dude would understand what made laksa laksa. Like, you know, and and be humble enough to say he doesn't know how to make it, he doesn't know how to do it, but he he can understand that it's delicious and try to explain to people why. Um, There's also been a run of stuff about how he wanted to, you know, this is a guy who, in all the respect in the world to him for this, you know, at least once a season near the end of Parts Unknown, he would find a way to make a trip to Spain or Copenhagen and do the, you know, the the Noma trip or the, yes. the Arzac thing. And he would, he loved that kind of um, high cuisine and appreciated right. it. And good for him for finding a way to have CNN pay for it. <laughs> but but so much of his business was, was the democratization of this stuff. And yes. um, the two examples that come to mind are there's a, uh, a food blogger, an orig- OG food blogger, a guy named Adam Roberts, who had a blog called The Amateur Gourmet. Uh, he's mostly doing his stuff on Instagram and Instagram stories now. But he talked about how before, I, maybe before he started his blog, but the whole conceit of it was that he was just a law student who was bored who wanted to teach himself how to cook. And 
I think he posted on a Reddit or whatever the equivalent of Reddit was in 2002, 2003, that he went to Charlie Trotter's restaurant in Chicago, which was like this uh-huh. temple of high dining. Yeah. And then he wrote a review of it on his, it must've been on his blog. And he was basically kind of negative about it. He was like, they weren't very nice to me. They were snooty about when I asked where the bathroom was. And then he got ripped. He got the 2002 equivalent of getting dragged for not yeah. appreciating it. And here comes Bourdain in the comment section being like, give me a fucking break. Give this kid a break. Like we need more people like him going to these restaurants or, di- you know, or high cuisine is going to die. Uh, he didn't have to do that. He, right. had a, he already had a name to protect, but he did. And the other example of that is the woman Marilyn Haggerty. Do you remember the story? I don't know it. This is a woman who's, who she's lived in Grand Forks uh, her whole life. Uh, and uh, she's an 80-year-old woman. She's the restaurant reviewer for the local paper. And she wrote a review of the Olive Garden that opened in town. And the review said the breadsticks were warm and, you know, plentiful and the soup was good and they served pasta and it was nice. And this is a great addition to the neighborhood, basically to the town. And this went viral. Everyone's like, look at this dumb hick, basically. Mm -hmm. And here comes Bourdain being like, how dare you? Food is different things to different people. There's an honesty here. This woman is living her life. This is not a life where she can go to Arzak or Noma or, you know, or, or Momofuku or whatever. She's not up on trends. She's literally saying food can be a service. You know, food is a go to this restaurant and you can eat pasta. And he not only did he defend her, he gave her a book deal, you know, and 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 changed the understanding of her, who she was and what she did. It's both an act of generosity and kindness, but also a sign of he took the time to do that. And that, that's been a lot of the, the commentary over the last few days is that he said yes to everyone all the time, you know, which, again, we're not going to presume how much time that left for himself, but he was unfailingly generous. Yeah, and that I I knew the Olive Garden story. I didn't recall the woman's name. That's an iconic, you know, essence of Bourdain kind of of uh, tale, and and the taking it to a like basically an illogical conclusion. It's one thing to stand up for her and use his station in life to defend her, and you know, get folks off their high horses. It's a whole nother thing to give her a book deal, you yeah, know? Right. And and because I mean, he was like, she is a she's an incredible um, resource of what dining has been like in small town America for fifty years. Right. Um, right, right. You know, and I talked about this with with Chris Ryan on the watch on Monday, but. I think he one of his projects, and he had many projects, was to remind people that, you know, for as much as we have elevated dining into this art form, you know, we worship these chefs who plate things with tweezers, that it's a blue-collar profession, and they're workers. And, you know, you can you can tweeze something once, but if you're going to work and be a cook, you got to feed people, and you got to do it again and again and again under bad conditions, you know? And I think that I love the fact that he never forgot, he never stopped reminding people who was actually cooking their food, you know, who, that, that there, that there's a, there's a version of this career where you do it for fame or you do it for glory or for Instagram likes, but there's a version of it where you do it to pay your bills or to feed people that matter to you. And that, that combination of high and low is his biggest legacy. I, I, I couldn't agree more. I um, don't care to talk about the circumstances under which he passed. I just want to sort of make the observation how incredible it would be for any of us to, you know, uh, exit uh, this mortal coil having, you know, this this community, this world community um, thinking kind of universal thoughts about us as, as sort of highly as as Brother Bourdain um, was was thought of. And I, and I, yeah, and I just hope that this, that these memories, that we'll just continue to see how people, in action, how people were inspired by him. Because I just think at this moment, forget the food world. I think the world needs more people who, who venture out into it with, you know, with humility and curiosity and, and enthusiasm. 
Well, and that that real passion for connective tissue, right? Mm-hmm. We are all related. How how can we see each other? Like this was the thing that I give him credit for in my own life, seeing him physically in Beirut. Yes, right. Beirut is a place to me that I think of as a is a place, you know, in the in the media growing up, it's a war place. It's a place where war is occurring. And he seeing him go in there and connect with the human beings there and eating the food with them and and that kind of rewriting of of you know um my brain you know i I had a certain association Mm -hmm. with the place but i didn't really know the place and he brought that place to me introduced it to me humanized it for me that's the connective tissue that i'm talking about and he did that that with vietnam he did it with iran he did it with jerusalem and i think one of his best episodes but also i think look look at what this show that you do is you know you don't have um pictures of the food people can't eat the food, smell the food, taste the food. What you do is you talk to the people about the food. And that's kind of what his point was. You know, I I think you and I probably are in agreement that we have gone to restaurants that are supposedly incredible and been left chilly by them, you know, and and we've gone to restaurants that maybe don't have the highest ratings in the Zagat guide or whatever, but we went with wonderful people and we enjoyed our conversation, our companionship, maybe the person at the front, maybe the waiter was, was, was kind or, you know, or whatever. And those are the magical nights you remember because it is just the food is just part of it. And and I think he mainstreamed right. that idea and made it tangible for us in a way so that we can approach the world that way. You can do a show this way and, and more. Well, I think that's exactly the right note to end this on. Brother Greenwald, thanks for coming on. Uh, this basically means we have to get together very soon again because I don't like these bittersweet moments. Um, and we have an incredible TV food TV schedule to discuss. Let's help the culinary comrades plot out as summer arrives some wonderful food TV to jump into and 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 uh, gorge themselves on potentially as summer uh, kind of de- de- envelops all of us. I can't wait, but I think you should come out here and we should do a taco crawl across Los Angeles to plan uh, oh. this 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 oh podcast. My oh my That's God. my thought. Well, oh, okay. Uh, I twist agreed. Your arm. I'm going to send you uh, uh, some flights uh, for, for the next two weeks. I'll see you soon, Andy Greenwald. You you send them to Bill and have him approve the travel, and I'll be there waiting for you at the airport with a placard. <laughs> done and done. Thank you, my brother. Thanks, buddy. All right, Hungry Homies, quick word from our friends at Black Tux. You are aware, as summer has arrived, that the wedding season is upon us. And when you are bringing a date, my taste buds, you want to look fresh. That is where theblacktux.com comes in. They let you rent awesome suits and tuxedos in all styles online. With the Black Tux, you can take your style to the next level in funky, cool options. Like the Emerald Shawl Tuxedo Blow It Out. For your big one-time event, let everybody know that you're there. They have free home try-on. You can feel the quality and see the fit months before your event. After ordering, your suit's going to arrive 14 days before your event. That's plenty of time. You're not sweating the tux. If anything is less than perfect, the Black Tux is going to send you a replacement right away. Wear it, my friends. Turn heads and then send it back three days later. It's that easy. Shipping is even free both ways. Of course, you expect that. To get $20 off your purchase, visit theblacktux.com slash carbs. That's theblacktux.com slash carbs for $20 off your purchase. The Black Tux 
premium rental suits and tuxedos delivered. All right, my famished friends. Today's guest. Now, listen, this is a resume. He is a journalist and a trained chef. He is the food writer and dining critic for Newsday, the daily newspaper in Long Island, New York, also covers the borough of Queens. He's the host of an outstanding, I'm going to call it longish form digital show called Feed Me TV. And he is a former police reporter for the Wall Street Journal. Ladies and gentlemen, let me introduce you to Pervez Shalwani. Hey, Pervez, how you doing? That, that that was quite the introduction. That was quite the introduction. <laughs> uh, I, I don't think I've ever been introduced that way before. Uh, well, feel free uh, to I take need, it need, and put it on your voicemail. I'm going to take. I was going to say I'm going to take you on the road with me. You're going to you're you're going to start doing the uh, intros for my TV show. Uh, you got it. Yeah, we're in. <laughs> so uh, look, you do Long Island, and I am on Long Island, which is why I wanted to have you're you on the backyard. show this look week. That's <laughs> it. But before we get to talking about all things Long Island, the cool uh, food scene here and some of the things that I've tried and some recommendations we might make to the tens of thousands of hungry homies coming out here to, to the Southampton end of Long Island for the U.S. Open Golf Tournament. Before we get there, we got to start with this little tidbit. Former police reporter for the Wall Street Journal. What was that beat all about? Uh so I have a background both as a journalist, having gone to journalism school in Missouri, and at some point along the way, crazy me decided I want a second useless degree, and so I went and got a culinary school degree. Um, my grandmother was probably like, you know, what happened here? We came to this country, and <laughs> you know, expecting you to have you know a better living than us, and here you are, you're a journalist and a food and a and a trained chef. But uh, so after going to culinary school, I go back to doing the writing thing. I'm doing food writing to fill in the gaps. I'm sort of a still doing the breaking news thing, going to crazy crime scenes all across New York City and then around the country. And uh, after spending some time in Sandy, where uh, I flourished, uh, and then Sandy Hook, and then at the Boston bombings, the Wall Street Journal was like, huh, this guy actually knows what he's doing. And so they hired me as a police reporter. And so how long were you doing that, that gig? I did the gig at full time for the Wall Street Journal for about three years. Um, and in that time, let's see, broke the death of, of Philip Seymour Hoffman, oh. uh, which was a very sad day. Right. Uh, I'm still sad. It makes me of, sad right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's sort of crazy how that, that whole thing went down. I was like driving when I found out and thankfully didn't crash my car because uh, I was stuck yeah. at a stoplight. Um, went to Ferguson. Uh, cover the Chelsea bombing. So that was my uh, that was my police life, and the whole time, you know, it was sort of uh, no none by friends, family, colleagues. As this guy who covers crime and cooks a good meal, likes to go eat uh, eat well. Police sources were always into that. So right so that that maybe that translated into something an unexpected uh skill that kind of enhanced your overall ability to to do a good job um for the journal with with the police beat let me ask you this i'm i'm i i uh 
won't spend too much time on the on the police beat side of things. But um, you just described covering many very serious, complicated, you know, uh, toll inducing kind of emotional toll inducing kind of stories. How did you keep yourself sane? Was was food the way, you know, the, the balancing act there? I mean, I think once you're sort of a news junkie, you're always sort of a news junkie, and and that, that's what keeps you kind of doing it. Like even now at News Day, every once in a while, I'll chip in on you know a breaking news story. I think some people are just wired that way, and I didn't realize that until maybe a few years ago when I think we were trying to send out you know a colleague or an intern, somebody from the business side of things, and they're like, "How do you knock on somebody's?" And I'm like, uh, what do you mean? How do you knock on somebody's door? You just do. And you're just you're just kind of used to it. And, and I think you definitely have to be wired a certain way. To, but I guess I am wired that way. And maybe that translates in some way also to what I do, you know, sort of in the food world where I'm just like willing to eat anything. So uh, maybe the two uh, are, have a, uh, a correlation. Who knows? Yeah, you, you, you beat me to the punch a little bit there. So how did you make the move? Like what, what um, happened in your well, life to... Kind of tr- change the direction. Back to food. Uh, yeah, always was writing about food, and you know, sort of, sort of talking about it and sharing it. And I had done this TV show actually a while back, while I was uh, while I was uh, stringing or freelancing, running around like a crazy person, uh, covering breaking news for the Wall Street Journal, um, called the New York Chow Report, where we did these one and a half minute to two minute reviews of restaurants that we liked uh, in the city. And so Newsday noticed that, and they were looking for another dining critic and another food writer. And I had actually worked for Newsday uh, for a little while out, uh, after I graduated culinary school. And so they said, well, we know you, and we know you can write about food, uh, and we know you're passionate about food, and we like that TV show that you did. Why don't you come here and help us start a TV show? And uh about the same time, the Wall Street Journal was sort of in a little bit of turmoil. They had laid some people off, including myself, uh, and there was no certainty that uh, that I was going to get my job back. They ultimately did offer me my job back, but this just seemed like more fun. Come out, you know, explore sort of the unknown world that is Long Island and do a TV show. So I'm not that um, surprised to hear that that one of the things that impressed Newsday and made them interested in you is your um, very short, you know, couple minute um, blips on screen because the Feed Me TV and I called it longish form. I don't know how you describe how. Well, how do the how do the youth call a twenty minute digital show? I I, I think to to, to a fifteen minute you they're about fifteen anywhere between thirteen and seventeen minutes. I would think that would be considered on the long form side of things these days. Uh, yeah. I think anything, I think, you know, unless you're essentially producing something that's, you know, feature length uh, or in the, in, you know, the sitcom docudrama uh, sort of side of things, 30 minutes is pretty hard to keep people's, uh, people's attention. I mean, even in some of the shows you see on, on Netflix, and there's a lot of food shows on Netflix these days, yeah, uh, yeah. hard to keep somebody's I've- attention for it hour on that i'm with you yeah. i prefer the shorter ones i'm not going to name any names but i i would tell you i tilt towards <laughs> i like that so uh you arrive at newsday did they just give you the keys and say um go nuts like you have an idea for a food show or did they already have this idea how did that how'd feed me so, tv come together 
Yeah, I, I come. I join the 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 food uh, writing team um, in the food department, and then there's a video department, and they've hired you to sort of come and help them create something. And so, you know, we start looking at stories that we've done or stories that are coming up, and say, "Hey, let's go out and try this out as a TV show," and and sort of we sort of descriptive and go out and, 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 and do some interviews and shoot some B-roll and get some beautiful shots of food and, and you, you do one and then we, you know, come up with another and then another and then like six months into the job, all of a sudden they're like, we have enough to launch a season. Let's do it. And yeah, let's then do season it. season one comes along and it comes along about August this time last year. Uh, or I guess we started planning, you know, we realized about this time last year that we actually had a TV show and then, you know, the fact that we even pulled it off is amazing to me because there's so many things that can derail something like this. And come August 2nd, 2017, Feed Me TV is born. So, and it's uh, primarily focused on cuisine um, out on Long Island, right? Nassau County and... Uh, and Suffolk County, you know, and, and if you Suffolk. want to call, I mean, technically, yeah, technically the, the, the two fourths, the north and the, and, and the south, which is people better know as the Hamptons, uh, are also part of Long Island, uh, and part of Suffolk County. So, yeah. uh, so yeah, that's, that's Long Island. So I want to, uh, I want to say a dumb thing. Uh, before I, I jumped in and started getting to know you online a little bit, um, I did not anticipate you me online. Well, you have to. I mean, come on. We're professional over here on House of Carbs. We run a professional outfit. Pervades, as you would expect. I, I was kind of surprised by the incredible diversity of um, ethnicities and and uh, styles of cuisine and um, folks working the food scene out here. I thought it was kind of a monolith. And I've spent time out here, but um, not a ton of time. Um, talk a little bit about uh, what the Long Island food scene really consists of. Well, there, and you and you 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 hit a point there. You know, there's I mean, there's plenty of fine dining and you know neighborhood restaurants. But what's amazing about what's happening out on Long Island, is, to me at least, is the ethnic food scene that's happening here. And look, it goes no different than you know they say there are more Italian restaurants on Long Island than any other restaurant. Well, if you look back over you know migration patterns to Long Island, the Irish and the Italians started coming out here, building the suburbs, right? You know, and the Germans, right. and so you had those kinds of restaurants initially, and then right behind them, you know, as, as ethnic groups have come in. And you could, you could see this in the city, right? You see ethnic groups in the city. They took over the enclaves that, you know, the Irish, the Italians, and the Germans used to live in, you know. And now they also are moving out east. And so you have these pockets of Chinese restaurants in, in Stony Brook where uh, there are some of the, you know, excellent, authentic Chinese restaurants that are brought about, one, by people moving out here, two, by students that are studying at Stony Brook and chefs from places like Flushing that are then, you know, sort of being hired to come out here and uh, run those restaurants. Uh, you have in sort of Selden and Hopog, which is in Suffolk County as well, uh, this like growing uh, Muslim scene. And so you have a lot of Indian and Afghani and Pakistani restaurants uh, with, with, you know, a focus on sort of meat halal. Um, you have, I mean, you've heard, you know, this has sort of been national news. There's the large Central American population out here. Well, you know, outside of, you know, the, the gangs that, uh, that the government like to talk about, there's also excellent Central American food out here. Um, right. so there are pockets, there are pockets of this everywhere. 
uh, across Long Island. And it, it sort of just makes sense. There's a huge Portuguese population, so there's a bunch of Portuguese restaurants out here on Long Island. Um, oh, I love you know, Portuguese so we, food. I need to yeah. I need to do some research. I was researching you. Now I want to research Portuguese food on Long yeah, Island. You're, you're wasting your time researching me. What you want to eat is Portuguese clear. food. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, like they're everywhere. There are amazing pockets. There's a large Caribbean population. I mean, there's amazing pockets of like ethnic food everywhere out here on Long Island. It never ceases to surprise me what kind of restaurants are out here. Yeah. So um, you have, I think, uh, banked uh, eighteen episodes of Feed Me TV. We How many episodes? Eighteen episodes. We've got six more coming out in two weeks. Nice. So of the twenty-four um, episodes, we know that that we we all love all of our children equally. But if right. somebody was to come uh, and just want to get a taste of what you're about and what the Long Island food scene is about, is there, in the first place, is there an entry show that you would kind of recommend? Uh, I think, the you know, the prosecutor turned baker is a good entry point just to see sort of, you know, sort of a human version of, the, you know, just like people that are out here and like, and that, you know, they're no different than anywhere else. Um, I think getting a sense of Oyster Bay, which is a, a, an episode about the whole dining scene out there, is a pretty good one. Oh boy, you've really put me on the spot here on this one. Uh, I'm trying to recall all the episodes that are out there. I mean, the pizza maker who owns this place that you know you walk by it initially, you would just think it's any other pizza shop, except he has this oven that he brought all the way from Na- that he's you know he. His wife is from Long Island, and they met in Naples because their families, you know, are from the same region. Uh, and he makes probably pies that rival any you can get in New York City. I'm trying to think of a good ethnic episode. Oh, there's Lubna Habibi, this woman who's you know grew up the daughter of a banker who never wanted her to cook because they had in Pakistan, and she comes here, and she's an engineer, and she's working for the airlines, and all she really wants to do is cook. And so she quits her job as an engineer and starts opening restaurants in Queens and slowly makes her way out to Long Island. Finally opens this food truck a few years ago. It's successful. And here we have it. Now she has two restaurants called Clay Oven, where she's doing these phenomenal twists on Indian food. And now she's in the process of opening a third and is even talking about franchising. Oh, so I need to come up here and do a proper food tour. I need to do one of my my belly takeovers. Uh, I'm out here in, on Southampton, mainly, you know, covering kind of the golf stuff. So I've done some of your lobster rolls and I've done obviously the Italian tutto. And then there's a little village restaurant called La Parmigiana I've been in and Goldberg's yeah, for the bagels and La stuff. I've, I've never been. Uh, it was authentic. It was red okay, uh, checkered enough. cloth, you know, um, the, 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 that, that kind of thing. I had chicken parm. Um, they prepare it um, a little differently than my favorite way of having chicken parm. Um, right. I also had an incredible Caesar with extra anchovies, which is absolutely the way I like to go. And that was wonderful. So it was a perfect, like right down the middle Italian food experience. That's the proper way to have it. Yeah, I think but, so. You know, and I think people don't realize that like a good Caesar salad should have a good number of anchovies in it. You know, I don't think most people even realize that Caesar salad has anchovies in it, period. Um, (laughs) Well, they they were very uh, indulgent. They they met my request for extra. Uh, I don't know if they were being smart asses, but it was a a lovely assortment. Well, I want to know a little bit about your upcoming season of Feed Me. What's what's coming up? Uh, Let's see here. Uh, well, uh, there is a little bit more since it's, it's, it's the summer season. It's a little bit more of, you know, a 
seasonal focus. We're going to be on Long Beach, uh, where you know the west end of Long Beach used to be this place of rowdy Irish bars and Italian restaurants and rib tip and and hamburger joints. And you know, there's been before Superstorm Sandy, there was a uh, there was sort of a movement to for a better dining scene out there. The storm sort of decided destroyed all these restaurants, and the people who were sort of part of that scene sort of all dispersed for a while, and then they came back because. They're obsessed with surfing, um, oh. and they're obsessed with the west end of Long Island or west end of Long Beach. And yeah. there's this this just growing dining scene out there. There's this unbelievable bread shop called Blacksmith Breads, and there is this phenomenal uh, uh, American restaurant called Lost and Found, which is sort of appropriately named. And then you know he sort of spun off and opened this other restaurant called Lost at Sea that has. Uh, it's excellent cocktail sort of vibe and then seafood uh, on the menu, which is sort of his passion project. So so that's one of the episodes uh, oh, about cool. sort of the, the Lost Boys of Long Beach, almost, if you will. Um, cool. We have, there's an explosion of halal carts uh, in the city. And you, so halal oh, right. carts out here because it's, it's too hard to get a cart out here. Say, but there are some yeah, but carts, the carts have replaced but, the hot dog stands in the city, right? Exactly, exactly. The halal guys who sort of kicked it all off, these guys have become sort of an international phenomenon. Um, but there are all these other halal carts also in the city that have sort of made their way eastward. They become these bricks-and-mortar restaurants. And so there's a, a you know, just a growing halal uh, food scene out here on, on Long Island. Um, and people are sort of obsessed with this whole idea of meat over rice with, with white sauce, which, you know, I, I, I hate to tell you, and I, uh, is not, it's not actually uh, Middle Eastern food or, or, or uh, traditional uh, uh, food from, from where a lot of these people are sort of like an Americanized version of, sure, of sure. chicken and, and meat that's been spiced up and chopped up and thrown over rice with uh, white sauce, which is a lot of places, I'm not going to lie to you, just mayonnaise-based, so... When you're putting heavy white sauce on, just know that you're eating a lot of mayonnaise. <laughs> well, I like I like mayonnaise, and I have to tell you, I there understand you exactly what you're saying in terms of you know the recognition of these folks of what the American palate will tolerate, and you know I I'm always I keep rooting for the American the expansion of the palate, and I love the democratization of food that that's occurred here. I mean, I know, uh, at least with Thai food that Thai folks used to only serve us a kind of, of Thai cause they were worried about, um, the American palate being able to tolerate spices and heat. And we, there was only Northern Thai, but you know, now that's kind of changed. So maybe that will also occur on the, on the halal front. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, we'll root for Thai it. food, Thai food's a perfect example of that. You look at pad Thai and so many places, I remember the first time I had pad thai. Now I'm sure if I went back to the first time I had pad thai, I'd be like, this is the most disgusting pad thai ever. But, you know, so many pad thai places, you put ketchup and sweet and sour sauce in their, in their pad thai because ah. if they put what was real, you know, uh, people right. would be like, I don't eat that. But that's changing, and that's what's amazing. You know, I mean, and that's what makes this country sometimes so great is that, yeah, like, we can all... We, we, it's, it's possible now to yeah. understand what the ingredients should be and we can kind of demand it. And that means that the restaurants are willing to, to cook it in a, in a more authentic way. Um, exactly. speaking of cooking, uh, I'm going to get your, you know, recommendations for where folks coming out to the U S open might, you know, um, stumble into, but before we get there, you as a trained chef, I'm interested in how often you get to cook, and when you do get to cook, what are you cooking? 
Uh, well, I cook now more than I ever have, believe it or not, because oh, I have a two-and-a-half-year-old cool. child, so I spend a lot more time at home. Uh, yeah. Let's see. What did I make last night? I made, and this is quick, so you know, we, we have a softball team here at Newsday, and so I had to rush home. I could squeeze in a softball game, rushed home, had to relieve the wife who, uh, who had to go teach a class last night, so quickly ran in the house, threw some shrimp in some boiler, salted boiling water uh, while the shrimp were cooling a little bit through... I uh, saved a little bit of that shrimp water, threw it in a pot with some uh, from clarified butter, oh. um, emulsified that, threw in some uh, this middle uh, Eastern uh, East Asian uh, uh, paste known as sambal alak. Okay. Uh, got that all emulsified, tossed the shrimp in it, threw it on a couple of lettuce wraps with some avocado. They were amazing. Speaking so there you go. of that's, Thai, that's that's, that's that's a pretty Thai. That was a pretty Thai dish, exactly. Pretty Thai dish, right? Uh, Incredible. Uh, I'm starving uh, I now. I <laughs> uh, did earlier this year. I got to do a, uh, a story about cooking uh, steaks like you would in a steakhouse, but you can do it at home. Yeah. You can, you can cook. Believe it or not, people are scared of this, but you can cook a steak as good as you can get in a steakhouse in your own house. Well, we are working on, we had Pat LaFreda on a few episodes ago, and we're trying that. to break down that the, that intimidation factor. I had him walk me through my, uh, I had a birthday recently. My dad gave me two 20-ounce Wagyu ribeyes, and I'm not afraid to cook steak in my house, but I am afraid to cook meat of that kind of richness and, and, and that size. I've not had Wagyu sort of delivered to me in that way. Um, so Pat was very helpful in giving some some tips on on the proper way to do that. But I, I you're, you're you're absolutely right. This uh, idea. Get, well, give a quick uh, give the sixty second version of what you um, came to experience and learn in terms of cooking like a steakhouse at home. Uh, so one. You're going to see this thing called a dry-aged steak, and you're going to be like, oh, this is so much more expensive than a regular steak, uh, except that what you're getting with a dry-aged steak is about uh, 20% less water. So you're getting, poundage-wise, it's actually not that much more expensive. Uh, Cooking-wise, you're going to get so much of a better sear. But as far as cooking goes, so pull it out of the fridge, let it sit on your counter. I know you're going to be scared of the bacteria. Don't worry about it. Let it sit on your counter for half an hour to an hour. Salt that thing. But you don't need to salt that much if you have a dry-aged steak because uh, it already has enough of that sort of flavor to it. Uh, get that pan going really hot. Um, yeah. if, you have, if you have a ribeye, which is what I usually prefer, um, and one of the ones we cooked was, was, was you know, that ridiculous tomahawk steak, the Flintstone-like steak. Uh, I like to start it with no oil in the pan because I like to use a cast iron pan. Uh, I put the fat side down first and so when it hits that pan and you want that pan to be smoking there should be smoke coming off to the point where you need to turn on your fan on your uh on your exhaust and open all the windows and maybe turn on a few more fans just to be safe because you don't want to yeah just to be safe Uh, right just to be safe and then you throw that steak down on the pan get a nice sear going and what's going to happen is that fat's going to start melting into the pan so there's your fat Mm. Yeah, and you're gonna let it sit there for about a minute or two on that side. Then you're gonna flip it to one side. You're gonna gently press it down, gently, you know, because you don't want the juice to come up, but you want the sear to happen. You want all of it to stick to the pan. Then you know, there's this obsession that people have that when they put things in the pan, they want to keep moving them around. Don't do that. Right. Just let it sit there. Let it sit there for a couple of minutes. Uh, then flip it. 
and let it do that for two more minutes. And then I have the oven set at about 350 degrees. I'll throw it in there. Now, what I'll do at that point is I'll smash a clove of garlic if I want it or throw some yes. uh, throw some rosemary or some thyme on top. Now, sometimes I don't want any of that because a good dry-aged steak, you just want the flavor of the steak. Uh, and I'll just throw it sure. in the oven with a little bit of butter and then spoon that over the top and then just let it sit in there for, depending on how long, maybe six to eight minutes, and you have yourself medium rare steak with a nice crust on it and you can do that's, that in your house yeah that's absolutely glorious that was I I i'm gonna, like my, i'm literally drooling on my stuff here i'm like you, know, you, uh, like, you did it to like, both of us <laughs> all right like, the last thing i'm gonna let you go but uh out here way out uh the the southern fork of long island tens of thousands of of folks from all walks of life coming out to see some high quality golf Two or three places that they can get into that's worth squeezing into, that's worth waiting for. What What are your recommendations for base? So I, I, I was I was thinking about this when you asked me this, and you know Southampton isn't you know it's fine. There's a lot of great fancy expensive restaurants. Uh, so you're going to be driving out there at some point. You're going to have a choice to go to the North Fork or down to the South Fork, and that's where Riverhead is. And as you're making that that you know that decision, you're you know veering off to the to, to the South Fork. There's a place called Snowflake Ice Cream Shop. This place has been there oh. forever, okay. uh, and these guys are known for one making amazing ice cream, but two making it using as much as possible the best ingredients that they can find locally. Uh, and then three, there's such a community place. A lot of the flavors, you find these like, crazy flavors out there. And a lot of these flavors are coming from customer suggestions over the years. Uh, so you got to stop at Snowflake Ice Cream. And if you, you know, if you get it right, you won't have too long of a line to, 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 to wade through to do that. Um, closer to the golf course, there's this place called Cowfish. Doesn't sound great, right? Not a great name for a... It's kind it of a these, funny these, name. These gorgeous... Funny name. It's right there in the sh- in on the edge of uh of, of Southampton near the Shinnecock Hills. Actually, overlook this the uh, the Shinnecock uh, Canal uh, there, and so you have this gorgeous patio with these canal views, and it's just this great place, a fun place to get a drink, have crudo, and really hang out outside. And they do also have this twenty two ounce ribeye gloss with you know with melted butter. So there's that to consider. Uh, uh-huh. And then you know you get out of Southampton, you know, go a little bit east. Yeah. Uh, you I like know, it. go, you know, get out of there. There's this place, uh, Alea, uh, and I'm, I'm sure I'm butchering the name. Alea is, is Diario. There's a place, they have a location in the city. Um, and they have a restaurant that they opened last year in Bridgehampton, which is about 20 minutes away. Um, and the, the Greek food there and the seafood there is phenomenal. It's one of our favorite restaurants that's opened in the last year over here at Newsday. And then there's a more tried and true French bistro called Almond near there. Um, and then you're out here, so you might as well hit a winery, right? Um, might as well. And the Hamptons uh, has, uh, Rosé has sort of become the Gatorade of the Hamptons, uh, as some people like to joke, though the uh, wineries uh, sort of cringe when they hear that. But there's this place called Wolfer Estate, which is the sort of place to get Rosé. Uh, and they have one, they have this beautiful deck that you can eat at and bar uh, and and then sort of uh, bar area. But then they also have this uh, sort of wine garden, if you will, uh, where you can just hang out and lounge. Uh, so stop by first dates. Marvelous, marvelous. That, that's plenty that? for for all the hungry homies, for the famished friends, for the culinary comrades, of House of Carbs. Maybe coming out here trying to catch a little bit of the golf tournament. You're going to be hungry before and after, so you might as well, you know. 
catch a, a bite on the way in, watch the, maybe you have a hot dog while you're there. And then on the way out, maybe you get to, over to Snowflake for a delicious ice cream on the way back to wherever you're right. staying. Okay, or maybe, maybe you end up at Wolf First States and like, you know, you're like, oh, I'm just going to stay in the Hamptons for the night, you know? Yeah, uh, that's right. Perfect. That, 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 that's, <laughs> that's the game plan. Uh, my friend Parvey Shawani, his show is Feed Me TV. You can find him also at Newsday.com. Read up on what's going on in the Long Island food scene and otherwise. Thank you so much for coming on House of yeah. Carbs today, my yeah. man. If people want to watch the show, it's Newsday.com slash Feed Me TV. Or you can download the, uh, the Newsday app on Apple TV, Roku, or uh, Amazon. Um, and it's the first thing that pops up. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks, buddy. Thanks for having me. Yo, taste buds, quick word from our pals at Diet Coke. Diet Coke is shaking things up. It's summertime. They have a bold new look, four new delicious flavors that I'm telling you are going to go good once it gets hot outside. The OG Diet Coke is still there with the same great taste, but they've added for your culinary enjoyment yeah i said culinary feisty cherry twisted mango zesty blood orange and ginger lime these flavors are bold so bold you will not be able to pick a favorite listen to those flavor profiles cherry mango orange ginger lime you can think about some delicious things to mix those with i'm thinking about delicious things to mix those with right now and you can pair them with all of your favorite summer foods Maybe a delicious sausage, a nice brat coming off the grill. How about a delicious chicken breast? That might be nice. You know, a little bit of breading, a little panko bread come. You get the feel, flavor of where I'm coming from. Whether you are a longtime fan or Diet Coke devotee, if you're ready to try something new, give Diet Coke a taste. You'll see what we're talking about. Diet Coke, because you can. Okay, taste buds. It is now time for... Food news. Yo, Juliet. Hello. What's up? What is up? Oh, you know, not much. Just checking out the food news situation here on the internet today. Well, the internet has been dominated by one story over the last uh, handful of days. Before we jump into the stories, um, did you travel? Where did I see you drinking? Um, was that I, last week you were drinking? Yeah, we discussed it. I went to the Adirondacks. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, we covered all of that. I did. I thought in in between, but this is my fault because my timeline is all messed up. I <laughs> my own self out on Long Island. Where would you recommend? Are you are you a person that comes out to the North Fork or the South Fork? I'm not. We are just okay. Massachusetts New England people. Oh, right. You go to the Cape. Yes, I do. I do and, indeed. And then up up to that restaurant that may or may not exist in Maine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, I go I go north, not east. What can I Got say? It. Okay. Well, it's fine. I've had a couple of good Italian meals. And, nice. Uh, a nice lobster roll. And I think I've covered all the bases. Uh, although our, our guest today, Pervez Shawani, um, gave some illuminating insight into food options that a short drive from here, you can really oh. get pretty diverse. So, well, I shall uh, listen. Yeah, I, I, I recommend it. To the extent that you don't otherwise already listen to House of Carbs, I, I would recommend that you listen to House of Carbs. <laughs> I will, House. You got it. Thank you. All right. Hey, uh, let's talk about some food news. Food news time. Well, the biggest story is related to the International House of Pancakes, or should I say International House of Burgers. 
IHOP announced that they'd be changing their name temporarily to IHOP and revealed that the B stood for burgers. And the internet had a lot of opinions about this, primarily their other um, fast and fast casual food chains. They were very much not happy. For example, Whataburger responded, as much we love our pancakes, we'd never change our name to Whatapancake, although I would consider that. Denny's said, did a, a mo- like a... A joke tweet with a grand with a grandson saying, "Grandpa, do you remember the Great Burger Wars?" And the grandfather responds, "No, I I was chilling, drinking milkshakes, and trying to make sense of Westworld." That's a good one. That's Wendy, a good one. Wendy said, "Remember when you were like seven and thought changing your name to Thunder Bear Sword would be super cool, like that?" But our cheeseburgers are still better. People like really they got after it. Chili said, "We don't usually throw shade, but seriously, that's what all that was about." We, we here's a real burger for you. So. This was not greeted very kindly. <laughs> it's true, and it and it was, and I find the vast majority of it hilarious, and I and I love it. And what I wonder is, did I hob win? Um, is this not j- exactly the point that they were kind of going for? I think they did. They got the attention they wanted. They also like swin- like a lot of attention. They swindled their com- competitors into going negative, which is generally not positive. No pun right. intended. Like I just don't yeah. think it's like the brand message you necessarily want to put out there. And they just now every single person knows that they're getting into the burger space. Well, the thing that I liked about it is they didn't bite down too hard on how long this was going to last or, you know, it wasn't like this is a permanent change in direction with a bunch of corporate speak associated with it, at least that I, from the stories that I saw. It's basically a publicity stunt yeah. where, uh, you know, like, eh, we're going to we, we're introducing burgers. And um, I, I honestly... You know, you, there were they, the uh, media went out and got um, commentary from uh, advertising folks and branding folks and, and you know, folks with, with who, who traffic in uh, brand equity and that kind of thing. And it, the thing was like, dumb move or dumbest move? <laughs> uh, because, because of like betraying the equity that you've, you've built up. And I think like, when's the last time you, Juliet, thought about walking into an IHOP. I'm going to be honest. I think about it like from time to time, not that infrequently. I like IHOP. So So do I. (laughs) I went to a movie after game four last week. I saw Ocean's 8 and it was like a 10 something screening, which is really late for me, particularly on a Friday. And I was like, I'm kind of hungry now. Like, I wish there was an IHOP around here. I could just pop in. (laughs) Like IHOP is, is one of my favorite late night destinations. I understand that, but there, you you didn't go to one. No, I didn't. I didn't pull the When's trigger. When's the last time you've been to one? It, it's been so long. There, I, this is that's what I'm saying. I I, yeah. I kind of framed the question the wrong way. There was it's one not, not, um right next. There's like at Northwestern when I was in college. Like the Thursday night bar down the street was an IHOP. So that was like it, it was in the rotation when I was in college. But I don't right, think since right, then. Right. Right. Because that's that's like for all of us. Um, you know, the, the, the right sort of uh, time and place in our lives when humongous amounts of pancake and, and sugar and all that stuff, yeah. uh, you know, eggs, I always get the eggs mixed in with it. Um, you can consume all that stuff and then go sleep it off and then, you know, continue to, to your, live your life. Yeah, go on your merry I, way. Like, yeah, that's it. I'm like you. I have a longing for it because I have a nostalgia for it, but I haven't been in one. And guess what? 
when this burger comes out, I'm going to IHOP. Yeah, man. Try it out. See how it That's is. That's it. <laughs> this is it. I mean, we we not only do we owe an obligation to the hungry homies, but even if we there was no such thing as House of Carbs, I'd be going because I want to go check it out. I, I You know, they're a new entrant in the space. It's an iconic brand trying something new. And I'm really, I'm going to give them a hug and pat them on the back. They they kind of got the internet. They yeah. kind of got it. I, that's my take. I, I don't know. Am I right? No, I, I agree with you. Like, we're talking about them. So that's a win. Also, the other thing that I'm intrigued, in, intrigued by is they said it's not a permanent change. IHOP is not forever IHOP. But they didn't say when it would be changing back, which I, I think is smart. So they didn't, like, put any time parameters on it, which yeah. too often happens with these... Um, food stunts so it's like for a very demarcated period of time you blink and you miss it that happens like to us like when we're getting the news it's often like a stunt that's like come and gone by the time that we read about it so this is smart last go it'll go on for longer for however long they want to roll out the burgers and i, I hope they lead with their very best burgers because this is when i'm going to go i'm going to go over the next two or three months so i have Come strong, because if you don't come strong, if you come in and say, "Oh, the best is yet to come," I ain't coming back. So come strong, bring, bring, put the best foot forward, bring your 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 best beef. I'm hoping for something sizable. That's always you know important to me in a, in a burger, and uh, you know I'm I'm willing to to give it a try. And then they can just flip once once the I hob the B portion has been established, flip it right on back. We've always been the pancakes that you know and love. I mean, really, it's a dual opportunity. We're going back to IHOP. We're bringing it back. And there's, a, you know, two weeks of, of buy one pancake, get 10 free. You know, that kind of thing. That's a double opportunity, I think. I, I agree. And I actually have an idea for you. Are you ready? Oh, yeah. We're going to Las Vegas next month. We're going to Summer League. They've got they've got a lot of IHOP in Las Vegas. Oh. So, so should we go? Well, um, do we know? Will the burgers be there? I think so. Summer League is like three weeks away. Yeah, so they, that's enough time for them to get the burgers into. I the think so. Right? They're IHOP yeah. now. Yeah, they changed the signs. Yeah, they say that if the name is changed, that means the burgers got to be there. Exactly. Okay. I'll yeah, see you there. Uh, for however much time we're there, we're you know this this thing I'm gonna eat. I I, I have a feeling I'll probably be there about thirty six hours, kind of tops ish, because that's all I can really survive. But I think I'm gonna have fourteen meals in the, in that time. So IHOB is on that list. Nice. Okay, I'll see yeah. you there. <laughs> I can't I can't wait. <laughs> we'll report back. Maybe we'll even like capture it on video or something. Oh, that would be great. Yeah, yeah that's right. We, ha- we can do that. Yes. This is the ringer.com, yes, mother Yes, we can. Efforts. Hell yeah. yeah. We can do that's video. Right. No props. Yeah. Okay, one more story for you. We'll keep it short. This IHOP news is so major while I even try to compete, you know? Yes. Okay, this is a story to us, coming to us from, from Eater, our good friends at eater.com. Just in time for peak wedding season, national pizzeria chain Villa Italian Kitchen is introducing a bouquet and boutonniere combo made entirely out of pizza ingredients. The restaurant will be giving away a few of these set to l- sets to lucky brides and grooms who enter a contest on the pizzeria's website. New York City-based food stylist Jesse Bearden is making the bouquets and boutonnieres out of freshly prepared pizza dough, 100% whole milk mozzarella, fresh California tomatoes, and zesty pepperoni. Villa's director of digital marketing, Mimi Wonderlick, tells QSR 
We are looking forward to celebrating the marriages of some of our most loyal fans by gifting them a set of their own just in time for their wedding. Naturally, the bouquet would be the perfect complement to this pizza dress that you can order that oh. Eater, Eater also covered last year. And uh, junk in it would just bring you to a whole junk theme, junk food-themed wedding. Um, if you really want to go to the next step, this, these people should go to Taco Bell and, and also Las Vegas because they do weddings there. Yeah, get married at Taco Bell with the stuff. But Taco Bell wouldn't permit this. They they should make the Taco Bell version of a of a bouquet. Like a like a that's a a great idea. A chalupa k. <laughs> um, I want to say other big winner is this Villa Italian Kitchen because I've never heard of it and now I'm talking about their well, bouquet. And and I will tell you the picture that's on Eater.com here is absolutely delicious looking. I mean, they've wrapped the meats and the cheeses and it's all held together. And I, what I what I wonder is, you know, if somebody can really take this and bring it, you know, let's scale this sucker up. I mean, there's anniversary. I have an anniversary coming up. My parents' 50th anniversary is uh, coming up. There are proms to be served. There are boutonnieres and bouquets that are appropriate for all kinds of occasions, Juliet. Give the hungry people what they want. Um. Absolutely. The, the the bride is probably hungry, too, because she's been dieting before her wedding, probably. And therefore, this seems like a great, as soon as she says I do, she can just dig into her, her bouquet. She can take the flowers, throw it to the to the um, to the single ladies and then immediately replace that bouquet with the pizza bouquet and start eating. Uh, exactly. So it's a seamless, efficient wedding. Just get to it. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> I, I I love this. Uh, I hope that there is a way for it to to grow. I hope it really um, you know becomes a permanent thing. Me too. I, I'm into it. And Villa Italian Villa Italian Kitchen. I'm gonna have to check you out. Never heard of you before. Yeah, we're checking you out, Villa Italian Kitchen. House, I'll see you at IHOB. I see it. Three weeks IHOB. We're coming in <laughs> Hob. Hob. Yes, gonna, we are. I didn't say hot, but you know. That's terrible. That's terrible. How we do I like it. it. I like it so much. Thanks, Juliet. <laughs> Bye, House. Talk to you soon. There we go, my famished friends. That was a full plate of outstanding food listening. I hope you agree with me on that. Uh, big thanks to Pervez Shawani. Big thanks, as always, to Andy Greenwald for bringing it. Big thanks to Juliet Littman. Hungry homies, we are squarely in the summer grilling season. We keep talking about it here on House of Carbs. Please send us some delicious pictures of what you are grilling on your grills. We've been talking about meat, but it doesn't have to be meat. I want to see what else you're putting on the grill. It could be some delicious veg. I'm, a, I'm not against veg. It could be a beautiful uh, stack of shrimp. It could be something like a, 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 a nice uh, leg of lamb. Just send the pictures. At the House of Carbs is the Instagram. We're always belly sourcing, my friends. Please hit us up. Until we, we, we have an, uh, another delicious show coming up next week. But until then, let's stay hungry out there. <laughs>